G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. The, the very real danger for us as modern readers of, uh, you know, contemporary readers of, of Deuteronomy, when we read an ancient passage like that, it's talking about events over 3,000 years ago, the, the very real danger that we face is that our modern sense of superiority um, over those dear ancients back then will tend to blunt our sensitivity to the point of, of a passage like that. I think we've seen this a few times. Um, and uh, see, I think Deuteronomy is addressing a perennial human problem. Let me explain. I think Deuteronomy 4 speaks of an enduring human pitfall and I think it shows the only way to avoid it. So could we take a look together at verse 28? That's going to be our little way in to, uh, for now just before we pray. Here's the background. You remember Israel um, are being told, look, look what's about to happen to you. Um, look at how poorly things are going to turn out for you in the long run. Yes, you're on the edge of the promised land now. Yes, you're about to go into the promised land. That will be spectacular. But look how poorly things are going to turn out for you um, in just a little while because later on you're going to be scattered politically and geographically. Uh, this was God's coming judgment on them. But here's the little bit that I think we turn our noses up at. That's there in verse 28. Um, there, Moses says to the Israelites, there, where you're, where you're scattered, there you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Right? Idols. Uh, and, oh modern reader, do we not think to ourselves when we read that stuff, you know, quietly, we think as, to ourselves, who could worship an idol? I mean, seriously, in the modern world, who's going to bow down to a thing made out of, you know, carved out of wood or stone? Um, verse 16 was similar, wasn't it? The very real risk in their day, verse 16, was that they would make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. Bowing down to them. I mean, who among us is thinking that we're maybe going to do that um, if we give up on God? You know what I mean? Well, Deuteronomy, we say to ourselves, I hadn't planned on worshipping the stars the only wood carving that I'm going to do is the kind that might end up down at Salamanca, or let's be realistic, the stuff that's going to end up in next week's kindling, bowing down to them. But folks, here's the thing. Could it be that the call of today's passage ought to reach us as penetratingly as it did those Israelites on the cusp of the Promised Land? Um, would you please have a think about the issue like this with me? Do you, for instance, do you know anyone in your life who is wasting their life in muddle-headed devotion to something so much less than they ought to be? And you look on and it just, it seems a tragic waste from your point of view. 
Uh, Can you call to mind a friend, perhaps, whose life is bent, you know, unhealthily from your point of view, towards something that's just so much less than they're capable of, so much less than they seem designed for, built for, made for, worthy of? And you wonder sometimes how they can waste their best years on that. I mean, on that, really? Why can't they break its spell? How can they allow it to so dominate their horizon? It could be all sorts of things. It could be work, all right? Or it could be an obsession, almost a hobby kind of thing. It could be a love interest. It could be family itself that seems to so consume them or finances that they chase after. It could be their body. Uh, It could be the home and having it just so. All sorts of things. Now, let's bring this home to ourselves. Do you not feel sometimes like the efforts and the lengths which you go to are at times out of proportion to the thing that you give yourself to. You know, your effort and your devotion when measured against the true worth, the lasting significance of that thing that you're pouring yourself into, it doesn't actually make any good sense. You know, your efforts exhaust you, but for what in the end? Can you relate to that? What I'm asking is, could it be that we are not nearly so superior to these ancients after all? Have we not, like them, caught ourselves throwing our lives at times, or at least parts of our lives, at the feet of things and people and work, idols in other words, that anyone with a bit of perspective could see that is not worthy of your time, your devotion, your energy, your love in quite that way? And they leave us feeling hollow and spent, to put a spiritual dimension on it, they leave us feeling more absent than God and drained rather than connected. Can you relate to that at all? On top of all that, it leaves us perhaps feeling more than a bit silly because we can see what's going on even if we can't figure out how to get out of it. For what or for whom are we living our lives? Barry Webb, the um, Australian bloke, I refer to him from time to time. He was one of my lecturers at Bible College. He once put it like this. He said, the modern world is no less given over to idolatry than the ancient one. It's just that its cruder forms were more prevalent back then. I reckon he's right. Can we pray together as we come to Deuteronomy? Let's pray. Yes, Father God in heaven, We want to bring our sense of cultural superiority before you and we want to ask for your help this morning. Please forgive us, O God, our pride. Please give us the eyes to see clearly the deep truths that you have for us here today. Father, we know from last week, last week's sermon, that this law given to Israel on the edge of the promised land, it's not a law over us. It's not the law for us. It doesn't hover over the top of us. These commands are not commands directly to us. And yet, Father, we hear in these words your word to us today. And so we ask, would you enlarge our view of you today, our God? Expand our godly imagination in how to live before you in the modern world. Inform, O God, and inspire our hearts, please, that we might lead more integrated lives full of truth, in line with what's real and in response to your grace. So full of thankfulness and gratitude. Please, God, we ask all these things 
in Christ's name. Amen. So Deuteronomy 4, like on my summary, Deuteronomy 4, it sets these two strange, really paradoxes, I think, uh, to the people of Israel, these topsy-turvy commands Moses sets before them. The first is this, look what you've heard. You see the paradox in that, look with your eyes, look what you've heard. And the, the second one is like it, listen to what you've seen. Look what you've heard, listen to what you've seen. We're going to explore that. It sounds weird, but I think they reveal the heart of our deep spiritual problems and really the path to a an actual encounter with God um, from Deuteronomy 4. So let's take a look, read along with me please, just to that first paragraph starting from verse 9, from verse 9, um, it's absolutely full of stuff, you'll see this, to see and to hear, okay, just keep your eye out for that but answer me this as, as we go through, which one, seeing or hearing, which one is the core experience of God for Israel? Which would you say is the um, crucial organ of Israelite spirituality, the ear or the eye from, from this passage? Have a look with me from verse 9. Only be careful, this is Moses writing to the people of Israel, speaking to, preaching to, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, remember that's Mount Sinai, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me, Moses, at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form, verse 15, of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Which would you say is the crucial organ of Israelite religion? Is it the ears or is it the eyes? Because as much as I'd want to say, yeah, it's, it's I mean, it, it's watch out. And, and Moses paints this vivid image. I mean, it's a fearsome image, isn't it? Of fire and deep darkness and black clouds and, and all the rest. We've got to say it's ears from that passage, don't we? Just on, on the strength of, of what's written there. Um, if, if you want to talk actual encounters with God, verse 12, you heard the sound of, halfway through, you heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice, right? God's voice to the people of Israel. Verse 15 is like it. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you. So what's that saying? It's saying normal experiences of God, normal encounters with Him in the way that God chose to reveal Himself 
uh, to the people back then, they should have learned from their eyes that it wasn't really about seeing, it was about hearing. We heard our God is a God who speaks essential religion, true religious experience is about hearing the voice spoken from the mouth of the Lord. Is that fair to say from that passage? But swing it around then, because what does that say about idols and idolatry? Notice how it goes straight into that. Idolatry, stone and wood, carved things. Do you see the contrast? Verse 15, have a look there. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very closely so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like an animal uh, on earth, any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the heavenly ray, do not be enticed into bowing down to them. Verse 22, uh, 23, sorry, is, is like it. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form, do you see? of anything the Lord your God has forbidden, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. You see what they're being told? Take a look, not at what you've seen, look at what you've heard, O Israel. God is a God who personally, yes, desires to connect with you in your heart and soul by speaking with you speaking words to you, who deserves and yes, even demands your attention to his voice. He's God after all. And when he speaks, we're to listen, we're to turn our ears on, the core organ of religious experience. So will you devote your life to little things that have no voice? Speechless, voiceless, hollow little forms, dead copies of the things made by the hands of the one who is all-powerful, who is really God? That's the first thing. Look at what you've heard. The voice, the speech, the word of God. Because that voice alone, do you see the message to the people of Israel, Israel, that voice alone can call you out of hollow idolatry and chasing after meaningless things in life. Listen to what you've seen. Sorry, look at what you've heard. Secondly, listen to what you've seen. Back into the passage now. Come with me. We're just sort of re- reviewing the picture of um, true, uh, meaningful, Um, substantial religion here in Deuteronomy 4. Back of the passage, listen to what you've seen. Verse 32, Moses speaking. Verse 32, ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heaven to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Okay, so what are these great things? What is, what is this that they're supposed to hear of? See if you can spot the common thread as he presents the catalogue. What is the common theme in these things described? Verse 33, has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? Right, we've seen that already. Verse 34, has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, 
by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God besides him. There is no other. Tell me, who is the God that they're supposed to know um, if those are the things that they've seen with their eyes? What's the common thread running through all of that little catalogue that Moses has laid out for them? Take one nation from another. That's talking about the Exodus, isn't it? Isn't that talking about Israel drawn out of Egypt, the nation of Egypt? Remember how they were slaves in Egypt? God pulled them out, made them a nation. Uh, what, what else? Signs and wonders. I suspect that's talking about the plagues of Egypt, isn't it? The, the, the mighty things that God uh, did there in Egypt. My, uh, the, the war stuff, that's surely Sihon and Og. We preached on that a few weeks ago. Great and awesome deeds. I put it to you, God would have them know him as what? As a God who would save them, rescue them. Is that the common theme throughout there? That God's visible, tangible, famous evidences of power are bent on this one purpose, the salvation of my people. I will save them. I will draw them to myself. I'm not a mute idol. I'm not a heartless force. I am for you. I will save you. I will deliver you. Um, So you, oh my people... You are to hear me, you are to know me, you are to respond with your hearts to me, you are to worship me. Hear what you've seen, a God who saves. Look what you have heard. No hollow idol but the voice of God Almighty. All right, there's Deuteronomy 4. Friends, as, as modern readers though, isn't this where perhaps we feel the hollowness again in a certain kind of way? But this time, it's the other way round. We, do you find yourself in these shoes as you read these sorts of things, Moses recounting all that's happened to Israel and, oh, it was spectacular and, oh, the mountain blazed and, wow, you heard the voice of God out of the fire, all this kind of stuff. Do you find yourself thinking, actually, I kind of envy those ancients <laughs> back then. Look what they heard. Listen to what they'd seen. I mean, good for them back then. Spectacular. Good for them, back there. good for Israel. They did hear what they'd seen. You know, saw the saving acts of God with their own eyes. Knew themselves to be a people saved by God from out of Egypt and out of war and all of these different kinds of things. It must have been just enthralling. It must have been inspiring for them. They must have been inspired into worship, mustn't they? Must have felt really real, I can only imagine. Good for them, good for Israel but I'm not too sure how it helps me anymore. Uh, You know, good for them, good for Israel. I'm sure their faith was enlarged as they encountered God's word, spoken to them, heard it, heard it from the fire. And then generation after generation, they got to pass that teaching on as this word, which easily transmits through the generations, was taught down the ages, parents to children, parents to children what they'd heard, but I'm not sure it particularly fills me, fulfills my life, a satisfying encounter, this ancient word, even if it does have enduring implications for God's character, God's ways. Folks, do you feel that now? The distance from the ancients and how they seem to tower above us in some respects. Now, if that's you or you can at least relate to it to a, 
to it a little bit. <laughs> Come with me to Colossians 2, because I think there's wonderful, wonderful news in Colossians 2 for us. Colossians 2 in the New Testament, reflecting on uh, Christ and his, his position really in all that God has done throughout space and time. I want us to know two things today, O modern readers of Deuteronomy, O modern readers of Colossians 2. I want us to know two things. Number one, that the word for us today is the Lord Jesus Christ. The word for us today is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to hear that word and it is a word for you today. Uh, and secondly, number two, second thing I want you to know is that in Jesus we see the saving work of God for you and for me, for us together. Right, we hear the word, we see the work in the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, um, have you got it there? Actually, can I add a third thing that I want you to know? It's, it, it's this, I think Jesus, his word and his works, as it's presented to us here in Colossians, I think he is the only force in our life capable of displacing those hollow idols that we chase after, claw after, live for, that we hold on to in our hearts and that captivates the hearts of our friends and neighbours and families. See, see what you reckon. Take a look with me. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. This is Paul writing to the Christians in Colossae. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who haven't met me personally, my purpose, writes Paul to these Christians, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Just pause there for a moment. I want to say that is the spiritual life that I desire for myself. Is that true of you? That I, that, that I desire for my wife, for my friends, for my family. Is this you? That they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. I think there's something beautiful in that, actually. Uh, keep reading. Um, that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And here's his advice to them. Verse 6, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Is that a picture of a full spiritual life there? And can you see who it is centred on? The word, the Lord Jesus Christ, his work saving of saving us. Let's conclude where we began. For what are you living your life? Pouring yourself out for? Your years and your effort. It's been said recently um, that idols, idols are really the stuff of, of three things. 
And this is whether you're talking about ancient idolatry or even modern idolatry. It's, it was written recently. Uh, three things, love and devotion, number one, love and devotion. So things that idols have your heart, okay, love and devotion. Secondly, trust and dependence. You know, they are, uh, you kind of rely on them. You can't bear to be without them, trust and dependence. And thirdly, service and obedience. You cannot bring yourself to say no to an idol to something you idolise, to something that really has your heart. Love and devotion, trust and dependence, service and obedience. What would the Lord Jesus need to displace from your heart or replace in your heart to have our worship? What would the Lord Jesus need to replace to have your full worship um, in your life? For most of us, For most of us, I suspect it's more a matter of misplaced and misshapen things that we love. It's not that we love, we're devoted to, we uh, depend on and trust and we serve and obey things that are outright evil, I suspect, for most of us. It's just misshapen loves. We love things more than we ought to. We just love things a bit more than we really should. So instead of ending up with encouraged hearts and united loves, we've got strung out hearts and divided loves. Is that fair to say? Uh, or we just can't say no. I think for us blokes, this is an absolute classic. Our work becomes this arena for our most devoted service, which ends up trumping not just God, <laughs> but sometimes our health, our family, our marriage. And you see, Jesus would call us back and say, no, you need to devote your life to the thing, the one, the word and work that is worthy of the centre of your life, the Lord Jesus Christ. He would call us back jealously and deliberately and ardently. Your life today is not real life if you give yourself to less than God. Now, for others of us, it's more the question probably, not so much of service and obedience, so much as trust. What do we depend on? Where do we find our identity, our security, our stability Uh, not in Christ's love for me and his forgiveness and his mercy, his saving works. I know myself a child of God that's the centre and the anchor for my life. No, we find it in what? Well, I'm I'm a mum and that's who I am. Or my reputation for having it all together and if anything's out of place, then what would everyone think? Or uh, when, when people come around, everything has to be just so and it's not so much because I like everything to be just so, it's because of what it would say about me. We've built an idol of reputation, some of us. No, no, your life today is not life as God intends if you worship less than God. I love the way this passage strips that back for us and says, take another look. For what are you living your life? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Have a look at verse 9 with me and, and 10, would you please? For in Christ all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ. 
who is the head over every power and authority. Can we pray together? Now, Father God in heaven, we we really do desire fullness in Christ, just as he is fully God and the one who has fully worked our salvation. Lord God, it is actually a relief to us to know that our God is somewhere to be found. You're to be found and heard and worshipped and known in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fullness of the deity dwells in him. Father, it's a relief indeed for our heavy souls to know that you desire to pull us out of hollow or misguided or even meaningless lives to be known by you and loved and saved by Christ and that there's fullness for our weary souls, all thanks to Jesus. God, please lift us up, even this week. Grant us to boldly recalibrate our lives, to throw off the idols and the false loves that sap us and that draw us away from Christ. Father, please grant that we learn to put love of you first and that our love of others and of other things, even good things, would fall into place behind that first love. God, we particularly pray for those in our lives who really do seem to be chasing after you but in all the wrong places or chasing after meaning but do not seem to find it in the things that they are pouring themselves out for. Lord God, may they come to see Christ. May they come to hear his good word. May they know your deeds in Christ as saving deeds for them. And would you use us, us your servants, us Christ's ambassadors, to that end we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.